Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome a special guest, Michael Frank. He is a film journalist and writer. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, have survived the Twitter apocalypse that was (laughs) yesterday. And that you're also not cake, since we're throwing in all the trends. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Things no one will know what I'm talking about in six months. Um, no, thank you for being here. How, how are you? You know, I'm doing well. Uh, I think as well as can um, be. You know, I, I feel like that's the, just the go-to question constantly. It's just like, how are you doing? How are you surviving the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Um, but now I feel like you can ask, like, how are you surviving X, Y, Z, A, B, like, there's just like eight different things that are, I feel like are always going on in the world. Um, but yeah, I am, I'm surviving. I'm doing okay. I'm glad. Yeah. What, what has been your, your go-to thing that you've been doing to get through everything? What has been your guilty pleasures of watching or just in general? Yeah. Um, I would say a couple things. Uh, number one, I, you know, I live in New York and Brooklyn and I felt, uh, like I was, not a real Brooklyner. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen nearly enough uh, of Spike Lee's movies. Uh, oh. And so I basically was working through his filmography uh, throughout the, the quarantine. And then I feel like I've seen actually like a lot of animated films. Oh, um, nice. This during, I don't know, over the last three months, uh, which has been so enjoyable. Um, so I'd say that combination and then making just as many chocolate chip cookies as one can make and consume on a daily basis uh, has has been very important to me. Hey, you gotta gotta eat something. And if you got chocolate chip cookies lying around, make them all. Why not? Oh, what exactly. animated movies were they that you've been watching? Uh, yeah, so I'd say the best one uh, I saw over the last few months was I watched uh, My Life as a Zucchini. Oh, um, yeah. Which is uh, Celine Shiyama wrote it and it is absolutely the most wonderful film that anyone can watch should watch um, should repeatedly watch uh, especially in these times it is heartbreakingly joyful uh, and it's also like 70 minutes long mm-hmm. it's the perfect you know like uh, sized film mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just like a gorgeous thing to watch and then uh, I watched Boy in the World a mm. few days ago yeah, uh, the you know Brazilian like it's animation, but it's like half hand drawn, painted, um, and then digital, and it's just also beautiful. Um, but that's a lot more haunting and and painful of a watch. Hey, haunting, uh, haunting and painful <laughs> is the world now. So no, have exactly. You, have you seen the movie I Lost My Body? I have. I have. Yeah. Uh, I feel like oh, I was immediately thinking of that. It's kind of like an underseen, strange one. Kind of some body horror stuff, but... Yeah, I like that also because um, I feel like every year there is like either an animated film uh, or animated foreign film usually that kind of comes out that just a small group of people see, but they mm-hmm. just passionately love. Mm-hmm. You know, like I lost my body. under the is, radar. Yeah, like I lost my body is also, I think, like painfully gorgeous. Um, and I think it's dealing with a lot of, I don't know, like hefty uh, mm-hmm. themes, but it's it's also one of those movies that I feel like you can't like look away, you know, like while you're watching it, which I really, really enjoy. Because yeah. um, every single moment, especially since it's in a different language, but also you feel like you're missing truly beautiful like moments on screen, mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, so good. Uh, yeah. So good. I'm glad you like it. Um, the reason it kind of was something I, I liked is because, as I said, it's kind of body horror. And that's been, I've been watching a lot of horror movies. And I don't know if you saw this today, but there's the Possessor trailer that came out. Interface is active and we're at full power. What's your levels this time? Just make sure you pull the trigger on the way out. After initial binding, you'll be locked in with no loss of control permitted during this performance. We can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? And I haven't seen it yet, which is maybe better since people listening will also have not seen it. But that looks really interesting to me. I have seen it, actually. Oh, uh, <laughs> what can you tell us? Were you at uh, Sundance with it? I was, yeah. So I, I was at Sundance this year. Um, and it is uh, a brutally horrific, <laughs> beautiful movie. I, I like I, I'm not as high on it as other people. Okay. Um, I know others that it's been their favorite movie of the year uh, mm. so far, um, but it's it's quite a watch. I think like <laughs> if you have the stomach for things like that, then uh, <laughs> you'll enjoy it. But it's not something where I walked out and was like, "Well, I really loved that." Yeah. Like I really I really liked that experience. Um, right. <laughs> even though it's it's a fascinating thing that exists, like mm-hmm. it that exists for sure in the world. Yeah. Uh, and people will watch it and be disgusted and also <laughs> be amazed. I think it's like a a wild a wild movie. I'm excited well, for everyone to see it though. I'm really excited. Yeah. Because that's that's one of the bigger horror releases that's coming up. There have been a few good ones, but that one I remember people were really waiting for it. We don't know exactly when it's going to come out, but. Mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, the director Brandon Cronenberg's previous film, Antiviral? Because that was like eight uh, years ago. I so I have not. I have not. I uh, am a Cronenberg uh, newbie, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was introduced very rudely uh, with Possessor. Yeah, and was that quite a first jump into Cronenberg? It was. I feel like many many of his films are though. So, uh, well, you're referring to his father, yeah. Because this is his yes, son. Yes, yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious about it. The trailer looks very visually interesting. And I was getting a vibe, and it sounds like from your description, of the movie Raw, Julia oh news <laughs> movie. Which, yeah, here's the thing. I like that movie. It is something that if you're squeamish, it's a lot to work through. But it has, like, such an interesting, strong character at the center of it. And I don't know. I feel like it could be that Possessor ends up being kind of like this. But obviously things are different, but I'm still still very curious about it. Yeah, I think that uh, 
you know, the the Sundance type of film that is more up my alley is the very small, quiet uh, mm-hmm. family character drama. Okay. Um, and that's really what I just am. I'm eating those up, and I'm loving those. I'm I'm loving the the ones that are incredibly heavy. Uh, you know, so you would just watch kind of sad one after sad sad one. Uh, but the body horror, not something that I've ever uh, taken to uh, incredibly well. And that would certainly be what this is. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, I think it all started uh, when I saw the first Insidious mm. when I was whenever that was. Um, it's sometime in the, I assume that was the 2000s or the yeah. or early 2010s. Um, and it negatively affected me, I think is what I would say. Okay. Uh, in general, I would say the uh, horror since then has been something I've just slowly had to take in. Right. Uh, okay. And not okay. something I could, I could consume too much of, uh, to okay. put it into raw terms. Well, we won't go too much on it. What part of the reason it caught my attention was because Andrea Riseborough, I believe is how you pronounce it, is in it. I think she mm-hmm. was also uh, not the lead, because obviously the lead in Mandy is Nicolas Cage, but she's also in Mandy, which was a very surreal, bright colored trip of a movie. And she was great in it, even when she wasn't in it a lot. And I don't know. that Basically, everything has made me curious about it, but... Obviously. Yeah, she she's she's interesting because I feel like she's someone that not a lot of people know exists mm-hmm. yeah. uh, just in the world. Um, but I also I saw she's coming out with a movie. Uh, I don't think there's any like date or anything, but uh, they're gonna start filming I think in 2021 with uh, it's called Alpha Gang with Ooh. I think it's like her uh, and John Hamm and Nicholas Holt or something. Uh, and it's it's got like an all star cast, but she's she's like one of the the leads in it and i think i think that she's someone who's going to be more i don't know uh front and center over the next five seven years uh just because i feel like she's in these kind of weird beautiful movies mm-hmm. um and the more people that actually see these the more she's going to get cast in you know larger films yeah and i'm excited even if your description is like it takes a lot that that makes me want to see it more um good but yeah part of the Part of the main reason I wanted to have you on is because I had read a piece you had written for RogerEbert.com about dark. And I want to make a a dark joke to begin with because your piece is very beautifully written and interesting and I really liked reading it. But I I am starting on a crusade that might be too late because the show is over. But do you know what I've been told? Do you know what the German word for dark is? Uh, What is it? I believe it is Dunkel. So we are going to okay. start the Dunkel heads where we are the fans of dark, where we try and get more people to see this show because it was really good. And I feel like it ended and no one ended quite powerfully and really interestingly, and not a lot of people talked about it. So when I saw you had written about it and read it and was like, this is great. Ah, more people talk about it. Please come on. So yeah. What, what drew you to writing about it? And what what was your take on kind of it all for people that have read the piece, which I which I'll link to, but yeah, what what was your thought and takeaway from all of it? Yeah, definitely. I think Dark is an incredibly special um, TV series. I think, and and the most important aspect of the piece is Dark is a show that really demands your attention. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a show that requires active participation you know it's a show that you can't watch passively you can't even look down at your phone for you know 10 15 seconds because you got a text message 
it'll jump uh, to five different timelines and three different no, worlds and you don't know what's happening. That's exactly right. And so basically when um, it first came out for a season, I was still in college and, and it actually became a huge, huge point of um, discussion and sort of friendship between myself, my roommates and kind of our close friends. We would watch um, an episode a week, even though it had already, you know, like the whole season came out, we kind of just watched it weekly uh, because it took so long for us to actually try to digest what was going on. Uh, and, and it's a show that starts, you know, incredibly simply. So it's a show that starts just with a disappearance of a young, you know, boy, um, akin to kind of like Stranger Things-esque world, you know, these uh, high schoolers or, you know, teenagers trying to figure out uh, a disappearance and there's like a nuclear power plan and, and all this other stuff going on. But it transforms into something that is uh, confusing, I would say. It's, it's incredibly confusing, the show. Um, but if you, if you watch it all the way through, it's so rewarding. You know, it's, it's one of the most rewarding shows I've ever seen. Um, where if you do put in all this effort, if you put in all this time to do the research, you know, to be reading recaps, to be looking at the family tree while you're watching the show, uh, then, you know, it'll reward you in, you know, leaps and bounds um, with just incredible character development, pretty stellar performances, especially in the third season, um, especially by, you know, the lead actor, Louis or Louis Hoffman, uh, who's really just looking. He's just like looking a lot in the third season. He's not doing much. It's just like a lot of his face re looking really sad, uh, which actually is, is like does more than you think. Right. Uh, and then, you know, an ending uh, that is a beautiful cap, you know, to, to a, a show that, like you said, spans, you know, three different centuries, multiple worlds, different realities. Um, times where there would be four or five versions of the same character on screen. Uh, and at the end of it, you're like, wow, actually this made sense. You know, which is an incredible feat. Yeah, that I it think. stuck the landing. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it's not even that, you know, it's, it's gorgeous to watch at the end, I think. Um, and they hit you with a song that is a Perfect. song that everyone, <laughs> everyone knows uh, that I don't want to spoil if you haven't been there. Um, yeah. But I don't know, it, it's, it's a, and to kind of get back to the whole point and to answer your question is it just, it really demands your attention. And, and I think few shows can do that. Um, and then say, okay, it was actually worth it. You know, like right. your attention wasn't in vain. Right. And, and when you say that there are some people who might be like, Oh, but it's boring. It's not like stranger things where it's like snappy jokes, quick stuff. Cause I remember when I had first started it, my mind immediately went to, Oh, people have compared this to stranger things but it very much is different. And I think it's, it's way beyond where that is because it really begins to delve into these deeper ideas. And I'm trying not to take shots at Stranger Things, but each season feels like you, an advance. You could take shots at okay. Stranger Things. Stranger Things, I think, peaked pretty early and they've been trying to chase that where it has been a little repetitive. Dark is always kind of pushing the envelope, which I appreciate. And it may be that I enjoy the type of more, I don't know, thoughtful, reflective type of story that is dark. And if Stranger Things is not going to be that, that's fine. But dark really, really grabs hold of you. And if you're feeling like it's demanding a lot of you, that payoff is worth it to be invested, to focus, to engage with it. And I don't know. I, I personally really, really 
liked it. And the ending, which I'm going to try and avoid talking about, even though we've joked about how this podcast has become the spoiler cast, it reminded me in some ways of the ending of Mr. Robot, which I don't know if you've seen. I haven't. It's been um, on my list for too long. It's it's really good. This is obviously much more about alternative worlds. Mr. Robot kind of shifts and reinvents itself, which people had always been speculating about um, throughout it. But the conclusion ends up being much more sentimental and sad at the same time because there is tragedy as a lot of characters are lost. But there is sort of that sentimentality and great visual sequences towards the end that feel borderline David Lynch, which it had always been kind of hinting at, but I just appreciated how they just really went with it. And also that, unlike Stranger Things, it didn't go on longer than it should have. It felt like they knew that this was the story they wanted to tell, whereas I've seen the new stuff for Stranger Things, and I'm like, where are we going with this? Yeah. This is like, they knew where they wanted to go. They took us there. And it's it's really good. The one thing I will say for people that are listening and haven't watched it, it will default to starting, at least it did for me, on the English dub, which is already a strange thing for animated content, but for live action, absolutely you need to switch it to the original German because you need to hear their performances in their voice. Just someone reading it so you can hear it in English is very jarring to see and also not the full experience. Yeah, also, I was actually recently talking to someone about this who started watching the third season in English dub. Oh, boy. Uh, so they had watched the first two seasons in uh, German, and then the third season, they're like, hey, I've been really busy. Work is, right. work is like, insane. on the background. And so they're like, yeah, I'm just going to put it on the background. And the almost the worst part about that is that you think that you can then go towards, like, passive watching, uh, because it's English dubbed, but then you're going to spend more time re rewinding, pausing, <laughs> going back, because it's still so confusing, even if it's English dubbed, you know, like right. that, that actually isn't going to help you uh, in any way. Like, if you think that this is going to make it easier to digest or understand, that's really not what's going to happen. Uh, and just to your point about Stranger Things, I, I love dunking on Stranger Things. I think it's just <laughs> incredible. Um, and that's a show that I like, you know, like I, yeah, me I, don't, too. I don't dislike Stranger Things at all. I think it's really nostalgic and really mm -hmm. fun. And mm -hmm. I think it's got solid performances and I think it's, it's like enjoyable to watch. Um, and it has certain moments where you're like, wow, this is really good. But I, I mean, like Dark, first of all, it's much darker. Like Dark is much, much sadder, much mm -hmm. more intense. Do people make jokes? I'm trying to think there's maybe like one or two, but not not really a funny show. No, it's no, it's not really a funny show. I think that there's like less jokes about uh, you know, the jokes that are happening in the show. I think there's jokes about like uh, Marta like in her new haircut and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, but less where people are actually joking around. Um, but I do want to say that dark's ending uh like you said i think it's very thoughtful but it's it's a show that is based solely um i think in the idea of human suffering mm -hmm. you know so i think that throughout the show it's about people that are trying to end each other's and their own suffering in in one or other ways um and i think that idea of suffering and about ending suffering or or, or keeping it together because that's what 
you know, makes us live and makes us alive um, versus kind of how it all comes together, uh, which is again, all about suffering and, and about this, you know, loss and, and, and like the losses that we get in our lives. Like those are such weighty ideas. And I do not think Stranger Things is dealing with those, those same ideas. And that's the difference. You know, I, I think Stranger Things is a great show, but I think Dark is, is really trying to deal with these like ideas of, of, that, that we struggle with throughout life. Um, One of the big ones for me was the idea that our desires are what cause us to suffer. It is our, I think there was the quote where it's like, at the beginning of the third season, something about we have the will to do this, but we don't have the will to overcome our will, essentially, where it's like, if you really desire something, that is going to be so overly powerful, that it can override everything else in you. And there are people that are certainly probably going to disagree with that. But the show really, really sits with that and takes its time flushing that out, where you begin to see over and over and over no matter who the character is being very much a slave to their own desires. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because then when they try to, uh, you know, go against those desires, uh, it ends up just feeding right back into right, them in one right. way or another. Um, you know, and it's, it's that idea that, uh, you know, everything is tied in a knot, you know, or, or everything is uh, happens as it always has and happens as it always will, uh, which I, I agree. I'm not necessarily sure. I, agree with that but um it does allow you to sit with it you know and especially it just being this three seasons i love a show that ends when it when it should you know and, and they know that they have a a time limit you know they, they, they know they have a cap they're not just going until they welcome yeah they're not going until they can't go anymore right just run it into the ground and then be like well i guess we're done like i don't know this is the most egregious example but like the show the walking dead I don't even know. Is that know. show still going? Yeah, it's still going. I, I stuck with it for a while and then tapped out and might revisit it just out of sheer curiosity. Yeah. It is a monstrosity of writing to just keep going. But you can very clearly see the points where they kind of lost the plot and had to really like scramble to try and clean things up. Dark is like from beginning to end, based on how certain things get reincorporated in the final season it feels like they knew this is where they were going from the start, that they had some sort of master plan about where this was going to end up, what themes were important, what character growth was important. To that, it feels very cohesive, even as it's spanning all these characters with, they even have in the bunker, a chart reminiscent of Charlie Day from Always Sunny with yeah. like things everywhere and you kind of need that at times and like there's even the thing in the floor where it's the family tree and it's it's very expansive but when it kind of narrows down you get these little character moments especially with um the two main characters at the end who are kind of mirror images of each other marta in one world where she effectively is Jonas and is the hero figure the having yellow to jacket oh. i know <laughs> And I didn't think I would be so emotionally hit by seeing a yellow jacket come back, but it's this kind of recurrent motif and imagery that it's almost like their superhero cape, but they're still very flawed and really not sure how to go about things and make mistakes a lot. Um, Jonas yeah. especially causes a lot of things to happen. And sometimes it's because he's been manipulated, but oftentimes it's really that he stumbles into situations and makes it worse, which is unfortunate. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I I know that this isn't the dark uh, podcast, but might as well be for today. <laughs> it, might, it might as well be. I it, this is truly a show that I can talk about for so long, just because there is so much. You know, I think that it's funny because we've only said two characters' names. I know um, there's a lot, and and yet I mean they are you know the two most important characters, but I mean like they you know there's so many versions of them you know there's so many versions of every single character and and it's it really is one of the more expansive shows in a, in the shortest amount of time you know it's so expansive for only being three seasons um, and sometimes and only really, eight episodes per season like this last yeah one. exactly yeah and and so they're really maximizing the time that they have um which is a shocking thing to say when um they'll rest on someone's face for 20 seconds while they watch something you know it's 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 a it's a show that really toes that line of um, moving slowly yet covering ground uh, at a rapid pace. Yeah, the the only other thing I would want to say is besides you should watch the show, some of the split screen visual things where they're mirror images of each other end up being very interesting, and the music complements things very very effectively and well. It's it's really really quite precise and really quite good, and you should see well, it. What do you think about the last thing? Because you just brought that up is the casting is. Oh, it's great. It's, it's impeccable how they were able to find really good older versions, younger versions, middle versions. Riot times would be like, is that the actual actor in some sort of makeup? Are they messing yeah. with us? <laughs> I completely agree. I, I can't recommend this show enough. It's. Uh, quite possibly my favorite Netflix original. Um, mm -hmm. I think it, it might be, you know, one of the best things that Netflix has truly ever made. So I agree. Um, one of the other things we had talked about just because last week was a very packed re week of releases was just talking about some of the new releases, be it Greyhound, Palm Springs, the movie Rental, The Old Guard, First Cow. It's a, it's a smorgasbord. <laughs> what would you like to talk about as the guest? Um, so I've, have seen all those except for, uh, rental. Okay. Um, and I'll I also just say that's seen... really good. Is it good? Yeah. Is it, is it, yeah, really it's, it's, it was one of the horror movies that I was referencing as being really interesting. It's a debut director. She made is a it... really interesting okay. central metaphor. I compared it to what I wrote about it to, um, oh dang it, the Babadook, but I think it's more of a spiritual successor to less of a, like, similar where it's okay. talking about something different but using it as a manifestation of this deeper central conflict but anyway i cut you off what were you saying no that's interesting i uh so i haven't seen that but um i did catch the rest of them i i saw palm springs for the third time oh, uh, oh. since sundance uh which is it's just a, a film that is i think a really easy watch to go mm -hmm. back to um especially in these times of a feeling like it's the same day over and over again i know that people have written Who about would have that thought but, <laughs> yeah that it would hit so much well because it yeah. was at sundance and you were probably there as well yeah yeah so and this was by far the most enjoyable experience i had at sundance was during uh this screening in which midway through there was in like an encore in the middle of the movie where people were standing up and clapping because uh -huh. it like people were just so happy to watch a good comedy uh -huh. um a good After romantic just, like, comedy too. Yeah, exactly, and and something where I think sometimes if you're at a film festival, you can kind of really get in the weeds of just like dark dramas, 
mm-hmm. and you can watch, you know, like five of them in one day. And then your brain is just in a really bad spot and you're just, you're kind of sad, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and you're just like, even though it's beautiful around you, um, you're just kind of fried. And so then when you go into something that is super light and breezy and mm-hmm. you're just like really, and also it's like very, very cold there, you know, like at Sundance. And so a warm you, location. <laughs> yeah. So you watch something with like a warm location, people are sitting by the pool and they're cracking beers and you're like, oh, this is so enjoyable. Like this is everything I've ever wanted. Um, and it actually held up quite nicely, you know, like yeah. <laughs> since then. Uh, I think the other ones, I, I was not as high on the old guard as other people were. Yeah, I it was a it was a hot mess of a movie, but I still liked it, even if the plot was like so extraneous. Yeah, I also like I also liked it. I I I was like, this is an incredible action movie, and yeah, uh, the sequences were fantastic. Uh, I think that there it's uh, it's that there might be too not too few of them but there will be like an action sequence and then there's just a long stretch where characters are really just kind of i don't want to say directionless but it seemed like the story didn't really know where to go at times and it's those long stretches that i imagine on a rewatch where you almost might just be like well when's the next moment coming up and for a story that feels mm-hmm. like it's meant to be an excuse to get from action set piece 1 to the next one it really feels like it's it's really stuck in some of those moments. Yeah, I I mean I think it's a, a great thing to throw on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're you know drinking a glass of wine and you want to just really kick back after a long day, you know, and, mm-hmm. and not try to think too much. Um, I also think though that the I I think like the lore around all of yeah. it is actually really interesting. Like mm-hmm. I think it, that is really fascinating, um, and I think like the all the background of the movie is actually pretty interesting to me. Yeah. And that's where the sequel setup is a little bit telegraphed and a little bit forced, but I still am curious because the whole time in the back of my head as a small spoiler, there's a character who you think has had to undergo immense suffering because the premise of the movie is that they cannot die. They keep coming back. So she is drowned. And then that character shows up again and it's Mm -hmm. a setup that she has come back and it's, presumably going to be a revenge subplot for being abandoned and that feels like more of a like narrative core that could make it interesting and plays up and dives into some of that background that they all had but yeah i haven't read the the comics and some people were calling this a superhero movie just because it's based off comics yeah i don't think that's quite quite what it was but yeah it the the villain oh what's his name the actor's name he was in the Coen Brothers kind of six short films that they did. Ah, oh. well, there's, there's. I feel like there's multiple villains. Sort of there's. Well, there's yeah. the, the the person that plays uh, Dudley from Harry Potter. Yes, that's. Uh, who it is. Yeah, his name is uh, Dudley from Harry Potter. <laughs> He's a pharmaceutical guy. executive who yeah wants the, the to sa- test on them. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harry Melling. I guess it's I've his... never heard that name before. Yeah, no, that's his name. You would never have guessed that, but that is his name. Uh, he plays uh, Dudley Dursley. Dudley, Harry the tormentor of Harry, is actually named Harry. Uh, yeah, so that is he. He plays the villain, and he's scary. I guess he's just like a bad person. Uh, mm-hmm. He's kind of like a Martin Shkreli esque tech bro boy, mm-hmm. and just like wants to consume everything for his own gain 
and the way the way Charlize Theron's character deals with him at the end is pretty great. But I don't know. He just he kind of felt like um, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor kind of in a yeah. way, which I understand some people liked what that was going for. But I I was a little little iffy on that one. But then there's yeah. also um, they have a member of their group that turns on them. There's Chiwetel Ejiofor's character who's tasked with hunting them down, but he ends up going onto their side and might end up being more of a character. I don't know. It's like I said, the plot is kind of a mess. <laughs> Even hearing you just talk through that, I was I was shaking my head because it's. I think that there are actually some really interesting points to it, and I think mm-hmm. Charlize is just crushing it as always. Yeah. And I mean, Kiki Lane, just, who's from yeah. uh, the James Baldwin, if Beale Street could talk, was great. Yeah, she's fantastic also. And I think like the both of them are just doing actually really solid stuff. Uh, and I, I will say this, I am a sucker for, you know, like those surprises at the ends that are setting up a sequel. I'm always like, all right, well, I'm in. Let's like, do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch another two hours of, of this, I guess, in two years when this comes out yeah um because i i though i do like you know all the critical darlings i guess or the gems you know and and all those important things that that critics are like oh you have to watch this Mm -hmm. uh i am definitely one for the big uh the big action movie like bad boys for life i was there (laughs) right away like i was just there i was there by myself opening weekends nice just like consuming it injecting it into my veins uh and it's like not like that's the best movie of all time but uh, uh probably I, not <laughs> but i i can like watch and enjoy those pretty easily for sure um, and what was interesting when you when you say that i i won't say who because i don't want to like turn this into like a beef thing but there was this critic on twitter who said that because of the context of the world we live in and all the streaming movies that are coming out, people mm-hmm. are taking it too easy on them if they were released in a theater. And I kind of understood where he was coming from, but I don't think that's true. I think people were just sort of like, Old Guard was pretty good, didn't make a lot of sense. And Palm Springs was a fun, cute movie, even though it was interesting briefly about on that. I saw people comparing it to Ingrid Goes West, which I saw at Sundance, and maybe from a visual comparison a little bit, but Ingrid Goes West has like a way dark side to it. Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a movie that I, I watched once and it, it, for some reason it didn't resonate as much. And then I watched it a second, yeah, I watched it a second time and I was like, well, that is a very interesting movie. Yeah. that, That movie is trying to sort of say a lot, but it's kind of jamming through. Yeah. Um, and I, the way, I, the way I looked at it, it was like a more like almost insightful, biting satire wrapped in a more conventional comedy mm-hmm. that kind of is in tension with itself where it doesn't quite know which one it's always going for because it'll go from like a goofy sequence where like wild stuff happens to then like very dour moments of like, oh, wow, this is really making me feel sick about how our society is. But I, I don't know. I, I had really liked That's that. Interesting. And yeah, That's but, interesting. With, but with this critic who had said that, a lot of people then just responded of like, no, I'm not taking it easy. I like this movie. I didn't think it was the greatest movie of all time, but I think it's been, I thought last week of the past couple little bit has been a really solid release 
Pete's schedule, especially First Cow, which we had talked all about on the last episode of Kelly Reichardt's movies. And I think First Cow is like top notch, really good. And I was so sad when it was one of the last things I went to a screener for. And then it was not going to come out. But I was like, no, people need to see First Cow. We need to we need to all bow down to the cow. We need to all see it. I don't know. What what did you think of First Cow? Because I've I've gone way off on how much I liked it. Uh, I love it. Um, I'm also just a, a massive fan of, of Reichardt's stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that she is one of the more underseen filmmakers of the 21st century who, who has made like the largest impact in independent film. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes such affecting pieces of like art. I, I am just a huge fan. And I also went on a huge Reichardt uh, binge uh, during this, this uh, quarantine because uh, I had never seen uh, certain women in old joy mm-hmm. um and so i caught both of those on criterion but i mean i i love first cow it's 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 yeah I, I just think it's such a good movie i saw i caught it first at uh new york film fest last year mm-hmm. um it's it's weird when a movie like that has kind of been around for a little while you know i feel like it's tried to have been released like three or four times yeah. you know, in different aspects or in different places um and so like a lot of critics had had seen it, and then we're just uh, sitting and waiting. Yeah, yeah, and then everyone just kind of sits and waits. Um, I think to talk to the whole Twitter thing, it's interesting that you brought up Ingrid Goes West. That's why I said that's interesting because um, I just the idea of social media is uh, sometimes so absurd, mm-hmm. uh, especially like I don't want to get into film Twitter, but film Twitter is a weird subsection mm-hmm. of social media and of uh, the world that if you aren't in it, you literally have no clue that it exists, yeah. which and is what was, so interesting. What was interesting is last week, we talked a little bit about how Kelly had done an interview and made reference to how for her, the hyper-masculinity of like Tarantino's uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood isn't what she's trying to tell. And that's that's a movie where it's almost meant to be a fantasy of just how bravado all these people are. But then that got like taken and it was like IndieWire then put this thing that was like Kelly Reichard v. Quentin Tarantino. And then that goes on Twitter. And then all the film bros of Twitter are like, Kelly Reichard is like beefing with Tarantino. And I'm like, no, she just had a different vision and a different story she liked to tell. I think if you write off this one person because of this one in this case, out of context, quote, then you're going to miss out on, I think, a very unique storytelling. And that's an instance of where, like, film Twitter could be bad. If film Twitter were to stop you from seeing a Kelly Reichardt movie and seeing a First Cow movie, that's unfortunate. Because you shouldn't let that sort of bitterness that can unfortunately fester from online spaces, which is maybe why the, the Twitter apocalypse should have should have brought it all down. It should have been gone. It should have been gone, yeah. It's it's funny to think about because it's something that now I feel like I'm so immersed in. And mm-hmm. it's just because of the people that I follow on a social media site. But, uh, you know, anytime I hop on Twitter, it's most of that content. Mm-hmm. Uh, though the overwhelming majority of uh, my friends and the people I hang out with, like they are so neutral about film and television. Yeah. You know, like they feel super whatever about all of it. Mm-hmm. 
I heard so many first cow jokes on yeah. a phone call with my friends because they literally just couldn't stop laughing how there's this movie about this cow. Uh, you know, because like they're, and I don't think they're going to rent it, you know, and, and I said, it's a great movie, you should rent it, you know, but yeah. like they don't, they don't care. They've never heard of, they don't even know who Kelly Reichardt is. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter, you know, like, still sure. I hate, yeah, like they should still watch it, but it, it's funny how it gets into like all these certain levels of gatekeeping, you know, within the film mm. community and within, you know, these critic spaces and, and, you know, where you've written and, and where, who you're interviewing and who you have access to and, you know, which editors are, uh saying yes your pitches are even responding and and it just it gets so muddled it's Mm -hmm. it's like pretty exhausting especially as someone who i only started writing about film or or even attempting to to write things about film um i don't know like eight months ago or something Mm -hmm. um and i feel like i just like got launched into this experience uh of this entire community that has some just absolute gems just like some of the nicest people you know that yeah. like will truly help you out like i appreciate you asking me to to do this yeah podcast. like that's awesome um or other people that are just like so against you not being in the industry because you don't have a a master's in film criticism and you didn't write a thesis uh, mm-hmm. uh you know an 80 page thesis on billy wilder mm-hmm. um who i love you know <laughs> like but i you know, it's it's just it's it's weird. Uh, it's weird the way that I don't know film Twitter and and all this just exhaustion uh, mm-hmm. kind of comes and exactly like you said, then everyone takes things out of context and it's just a yeah, it's a whirlwind. It's uh, exhausting, and that's why it was so unfortunate that that person said the thing that maybe could have a gem of truth, but like the way it was phrased was very antagonistic and gatekeepy of you don't you aren't really engaging with this and like almost calling people disingenuous and i don't know i could have maybe appreciated if if there was like specifics where they were like i think this was something that should have been criticized more but instead it was just sort of very broad vague like you all are fakes and pretenders and i was like all right well time to go offline for the day don't i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go watch first cow again and sit with the cow because what I what I like about First Cow is the relationship between Cookie and King Lou is so genuine and so sweet. And I just can't stop thinking about it. When I when I went to it with my friend Austin, he leaned over to me and he said, Am I about to fall in love with these two cow hustlers? And that's exactly what it is, but it really works where you're like, I wanna see these people succeed. I care about them very deeply. And without going into what happens it makes it all the more bittersweet and melancholy mm-hmm. when everything catches up with them. Cause you're, yeah. you're feeling it coming that this effective heist does have stakes and there are consequences, but a little part of you is like, maybe they'll be fine that they will be able to save up enough and start a restaurant. What was it? I think they were trying to do. They want to start like, yeah, like a hotel, kind of like a B- yeah. uh, B&B, kind of like a B&B type thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, please, please have this happen, but yeah, it's, it's I, 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 yeah, I think that Kelly Reichardt uh, writes friendships and relationships um, in such a special way. Mm-hmm. I think that she's able to capture like all of these minuscule moments that add up to like a, a real and genuine friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that like the way that she writes them is 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 so. Uh, and I know she she always like 
it's called, you know, like she makes simple stories. Um, I know people and don't like really minimalist like that, is a word that gets thrown around. Yeah. I don't know if that quite fits in this instance. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think like less so than that, she, she makes things that are, um, I think, I mean, of course, genuine is, is a word to use, but she's really making things that, I don't know, they, they capture like special relationships, you know, and, and, and relationships are at least fractions of relationship that you have felt in your life. Um, even though these are set in, you know, uh, the old, older times, you know, like pre-settlement or like early settlement right. times, you know. There's um, a universal connection you can have to it. It yeah, especially that gap. Yeah, definitely, and I think especially uh, this this friendship, at least in, in First Cow, is built off of um, I think necessity in in many many ways, um, as well as like it's like a gainful friendship. You know, like they're both gaining something from this friendship, and and they're both hopefully like moving their lives forward um, mm-hmm. and careers forward because of it. Um, and I, I just saw like a, a, a great piece get written about that, about like the capitalism and first cow, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I really love first cow. I, I just think like that friendship, that relationship is so special that she creates in the film. Um, and, and if not for the beautiful cow, then at least watch the movie for that friendship. Um, yeah. And for those, you know, delicious little oily cakes that, a cookie is making uh, because they sure do look delicious. I was so bummed. Uh, the local nonprofit, like indie theater where I live, was going to hold a showing of it and make some of those cakes and partner with a bakery. And then uh, it didn't happen. <laughs> it oh was my goodness. Nice times though. But yeah, my, my closing thought was to sort of hammer on that point you brought up about it being a subtle deconstruction of capitalism and this American dream where it requires them to take risks that other people would not and certain power dynamics and certain conversations are really interesting. And then the consequences of trying to grasp that dream that might be a false promise, it, it has a lot more than, than you initially would see. And there's a lot of subtext weaved through it in a really interesting way. Yeah, it's funny, even when you try not to talk about first cow you just have to keep talking about first cow because it truly is one of the i mean it's one of the best movies of the year Mm -hmm. um i'll i'll say this though i did watch uh, the assistant the other night oh the assistant's great which just hit me like a train i i was just thought it was absolutely fantastic it's like a suffocating film Um, and it's so so tension ridden in the mundane which is exactly the point that for the for those people that don't know it's essentially a personal assistant who is in charge of day-to-day things at an office that you slowly reveal is a production company for film where rampant abuse is being covered up and the exact point is that it's part of the job that everyone has just accepted it and in moments where she tries to bring attention to it, it all becomes terrifying that she could have her entire life career ruined. And it's it's so good. I don't know if you saw the movie. It was it was a documentary sort of. It was casting John Bonet. I haven't, no. 
Um, I think that was what it is. It's the same director and she had had it at Sundance the year before and she talked about how it was like sort of a hybrid documentary and this is not quite that, but it feels mm-hmm. just so authentic that it it is worth checking out. It really deconstructs this sort of Hollywood imagery and like how there's this beautiful world and opportunity and like all these things and it's like the darker side of that silver screen magic it's it's good yeah I'm sorry I also really like it when had you not seen it until recently I had not seen it I missed it at Sundance and I basically have just missed it this entire time I um I never really had a screener for it it just like was never something that was kind of like in my inbox or like I had was never going to write about it you know it just was not something that was brought up and so I just had rented it um, on Amazon. And I mean, I completely agree with everything you said. Kitty Green is the uh, director and and she's just like making impactful things. Uh, and I'm really excited to see kind of what she continues to do moving forward. But mm. it definitely deconstructs, uh, I think, a lot of the ideas uh, around working in, in, let's say, in film or in production. And uh, oof, it just, I, I think it's a really, really, like short snapshot of like here is what it could be you know it's not saying that this is exactly what it's going to be but here's what it could be and just from this one perspective um yeah and i love it i mean it's over the course of one day you know i, lo- I love films like that that are mm-hmm. are giving you a timetable of you know how long this is going to be and it just gives you a snapshot of like okay here's one day in this person's very very difficult existence mm-hmm. yeah and it really strips away any romanticizing about Hollywood that you could have. The final conversation she has with her dad is just so painful. She's just like eating a muffin and he has no idea and she can't tell him. It's so it's so good, but I get stressed thinking about it. No, I'm anxious just thinking about it. I was so anxiety ridden while watching it. Um, and since... I watch it it's something I've kind of thought back to again and again because I have so many friends that have worked in production and not to say those that's been their experiences no, but no, yeah. um, I think like the demanding nature of it is incredibly uh, true uh, and it's I mean they're just like really awful people that are in charge of really important things you know and that and so it, everything like runs through them and it's an awful <laughs> like fact of you know I think certain industries the assistant great film highly recommend uh, yeah it almost makes me not even want to talk about the last one i had mentioned because it's so different than all the rest and when we were talking about kind of deeper subtext you you saw greyhound yeah um yes what do you think of greyhound i'll let you go first on this one i've been talking a lot greyhound is a film <laughs> definitely <laughs> it's uh i think that there's like a really a larger conversation I think to be had about Tom Hanks playing these these heroes, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and playing this character kind of over and over again. I think that that's like a conversation that I want to have, and I want to hear more people write about that mm-hmm. um, and, and talk about that. But Greyhound as a film, I thought it was right down the middle, two and a half yeah. out of five, three maybe yeah. three. Yeah. I like it. I love that it was uh, like an hour and a half. Like I was yeah. super into that. Yet there were still parts of it where I was like, they could have cut some of this out. You know, like I feel like it could have been 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't love the sea, I guess. 
<laughs> I felt like it was fine. I don't I know. It, I, it didn't do anything for me. I yeah. basically forgot it, that I watched it uh, like 72 hours later. Yeah. Um, That's partly why I wanted to talk about it because I saw it last night for preparation for this. And when you're talking about Tom Hanks movies where he's played a similar type of role, I think of Captain Phillips. I think Captain Phillips has a lot more going on. Even even if I have some problems with it, the characterization and discussion of that conflict not being so black and white and mm-hmm. about how, what's the line where Tom Hanks is talking to his kidnappers and saying like, why are you doing this? There's probably so many opportunities and just the simple line of maybe in America there is. And there's yeah. there's at least something there. With Greyhound, I, I honestly was like, okay, they're hinting that he's maybe not fully up to the task for this and there's some disillusionment with what he's doing about having to kill and do all these things. But it's so fleeting that it's just it's just gone. And the biggest disappointment I also have is I really like the actor Rob Mor- Morgan, who was in this mm-hmm. movie called Bull this year. Yeah. And when he was cast in this, I was like, interesting. He's always a very dynamic screen presence, even if he's always more of a supporting piece in a larger story. In this, he's like, he's in it. He has maybe a handful of lines and then he gets killed off screen and you mourn for him. But it just is like, he got really underutilized in it. But I I don't know at like the trade off for what like he was he could have been a dynamic screen presence and he is it just was like so minimal and then gone and then the movie's over and <sighs> I, I can't say that that is a, such a good point Rob Morgan in the last five years or so has been maybe no maybe three years has been on an absolute tear maybe mm-hmm. a year he's just like i feel like everything that he's in i like um mm-hmm. at least i like him in it i think in terms of someone that's just become like such a solid supporting character actor yeah he is just so good all the time uh i had never even seen like just mercy and he's just fantastic in just mercy oh, um he's yeah, he's just like really good in that i mean he's he's i don't know i feel like he's he's so good in last black man in san francisco you know and, and mm-hmm. like a really short role um mm-hmm. And I don't know, if, did you ever see the photograph with Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield? He's in it. I actually for, didn't see it, but he's, he's in it, right? He's in it for so little bit. And there's a final conversation he has with Issa Rae's character where he says just one line, just the perfect hope in it that it just tears through your heart. And it's like really great. And uh, that was the biggest like thing. Is, yeah, Every Greyhound time he'd is... show up, I'd be like, they're going to have a conversation because the recurring thing is that he's bringing Tom Hanks food and it almost gets played as a joke because then he's like, mm-hmm. oh, got to go do war now. Got to go fight this sub, which I was talking to someone about. They thought I was describing Tom Hanks fight sandwiches, which he might as well be because he never eats anything. He's at a fight with his food. And it's clear that Rob Morgan's character cares for him. His character's name is Cleveland. But we know so little about him. He is kept so far in the background that it almost feels insulting to have it there, that of all the roles that you could have had with such a great actor like Rob Morgan, why not give him more to do 
to to talk a little bit with Tom Hanks's character, even if it was just one scene where they get to talk with each other, just the two of them share some sort of connection. <sighs> yeah, I I don't want to yeah. dump on it too hard because it's no, it's, it's, a, it's fine. a fine movie. It's a it's fine, fine movie. It the technical yeah. aspects are all pretty good. It's it's because I what was the movie like Midway? I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Compared to a movie like Midway, I think this has at least something more compelling about it, even if it's like very fleeting. Midway was just a a very disastrous dumpster fire for it's me. Like not not it's not even a movie that we yeah yeah. <laughs> Midway is Midway is a movie that also it exists for sure. Like someone <laughs> made Midway like that, and that is fine. You know, like that's fine. You know, like Midway, Greyhound over world. Midway a little bit. Yeah, and Greyhound is fine. Also, you know, like I think everything you said is I, I agree with for the most part. I think that it's another like vehicle for uh, Hanks, or at least a character like mm-hmm. Hanks. And he adapted the screenplay, which is interesting mm-hmm. off of a book. Yeah. I would be curious if the book has more going on in it. Yeah, it I've heard that does. the book is better. I've heard the book is better, which is um, usually the case. Yeah, I think that I actually also like Hanks in it. Like, I don't dislike yeah, me too. Hanks in it. Like, I actually, I think he's good. He's, you know, he's always pretty good, but mm-hmm. kind of like I was saying, I think the, like, I would give the movie like a C plus maybe, you know, yeah. a C, C plus, but. Not one that's going to stick with you anytime. No, and I, I think, and, and people said this, um, I know like David Ehrlich said this and stuff that like the, the book is, it's a much better, like, larger uh, portrayal of someone that is, like, really struggling, you know, as as this Hanks' character, but... And what he has to do in order to exactly. protect his crew, all the other people in the convoy, what it takes out of him. And in this, there's, like, brief glimpses of that, but they're very, very brief and very, very minimal that it almost yeah. is totally forgettable when then it's just like gotta fight this boat and get it done i think it's a it's also a movie that's interesting because i mean not like the movie is interesting but like the idea around it is interesting because uh it's weird when movies like this have such short run times you know Mm -hmm. so this movie is it's like a 90 85 minute runtime or whatever it is um oh it's 91 minutes exactly yeah so it's like 90 right right in that range uh, like, do they opt, or, you know, when Hanks is penning the script, like, opt to actually include more of those moments, or longer scenes, you know, with him and Rob Morgan, or longer scenes of him going through, like, his tortured soul thing, you know, where he, like, can't decide what to do, mm-hmm. uh, and make it, you know, two hours, and, you know, five minutes, or something, you know, and, and make it 124 minutes, or do you keep it super short and snappy, so that people will most likely, like, more people will watch it, you know? Um, yeah where it seems less daunting of an undertaking yeah and actually i think it it lends itself like i almost always would rather watch a movie that is 90 minutes than watch a movie that is two hours that's streamlined Um, and much more efficient yeah and that's also like one of the reasons why palm springs is so good you know and so rewatchable and 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 such a breezy thing you know because it truly is short and breezy Mm -hmm. uh where it's tougher to do that i think with uh, more like an actiony drama thing, um, especially a war film that's like early set during war times. Mm-hmm. But I just to get back to kind of the the first point that I kind of made and then just completely 
never talked about was no you're good Hank, hank's playing all of these characters is uh i think that i don't think that people are getting um, tired of tom hanks at no all. i would never make that assumption i do think though it might uh, be a little bit of shifting into typecast a little bit that's exactly right yeah and i think that we want tom hanks to like save the world you know like he was the first person with covid or not first yeah. person but he was like the first big celebrity person, person yeah yeah and, and the real and, people really <laughs> yeah like of course he was not the first person but he was the first big name where everyone was like covid's real you know like when tom it hanks was a it. it was a wake-up call for some people and yeah that's and for, like the social media channels yeah you know? like uh and i think it's i'm not nervous that we're getting to a point where we're asking tom hanks to save the world but i actually am in a, in a weird way i feel as though he actually thinks that he has to play these roles you know like and he can't I don't know. be a more yeah, like a, complicated figure yeah and i think actually him playing like mr rogers actually is sort of complicated like oh yeah actually, and i liked um, his performance in that I also really did. I thought it was super weird. I thought it was such a weird performance and I loved it. Yeah. Um, and it really showed like Mr. Rogers being kind of like not the most uh, just like straight edge dude, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but I I don't want it to get into a point where we're just putting Tom Hanks into this role over and over again mm -hmm. um, because he feels like he has to. And like, we feel like we need someone like this in our world uh, to like look up to, which I think is you know somewhat true, especially in these times that are mm -hmm. where it feels so dire and it feels so monotonously bad. You know, mm -hmm. it's 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 just like every day is it, it's like I it's either staying the same or getting worse. You know, and like people yeah. are looking for someone or something to take us out of that. And um, I'm not sure Tom Hanks is necessarily that person, <laughs> even though I love Tom Hanks. But I, I think like as someone who is such an incredible actor who has um given so many different kinds of roles uh like we i i want to see him play weirder and and other types of roles you know i i just yeah. like when i saw this was coming out i was like my desire to watch this was not high no <laughs> you know, like i because i kind of knew at least a little bit of what it was going to be about and kind of the the way that tom hanks is going to play this even though he was going to be good you know, like I knew he was going to be good. Like Tom Hanks is very, very good at acting. Uh, but I think, I, I don't know, it just, it kind of has been bumming me out that like, it, that this is kind of what we're getting now on, on such a regular basis. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know how many more Greyhounds I, like, I could take, you know, like, yeah. and there are much worse movies, you know, I think oh, for I'm, sure. I like, I'm, I'm, lending myself to the dramatics currently with this <laughs> monologue about tom hanks and and him no saving it's the interesting world. but i do think like it's there's an interesting conversation to be had about tom hanks becoming like the savior mm -hmm. of, of all of all of it and where it's almost like his persona as himself influences how you read him in the film to the point where i was initially a little uncertain about him playing tom hanks or excuse me He's that playing. was ironic about him playing mr rogers because it's like we're picking tom hanks because of his ability to do this or because we view him as a similar figure to mr rogers and i think that might have been part of it i still think in certain scenes especially in the diner scene in um i think the hotel it, scene i think is really interesting hotel scene yeah i'm much more riveted in those moments than the big bombastic 
blowing up of boats because we don't know a lot about the characters or as much as I would like. And that's what was so weird. They're ke- they kept showing these glimpses of characters glancing at Tom Hanks's character and him being very uncertain. And I was like, is there going to be some sort of mutiny or some sort of uprising of people being like, in order to save ourselves, we can't trust the captain? But no, I don't know. It's like it wants to have its cake and eat its too. It wants to have it be he's conflicted. The world is a little bit murky. But then the end, they all cheer and credits roll and then we're done. I don't know. I don't want to be too negative on it either. What what in conclusion, kind of wrapping up just because the world is out there and unfortunately I have a, a job. Um, what are some things yeah. you, are, you are looking forward to? Some things that you think advanced sort of storytelling and doesn't fall into some of these these traps that's a great question (laughs) uh i think that there's a a few things i mean there's a few movies that are that are coming out that i'm I'm really excited um for people to see a few of them don't even have release dates i mean a couple of the sundance movies are Mm -hmm. uh, i thought absolutely incredible i thought minari is just my favorite Mm -hmm. film of the year um and steven yoon is I just think an actor that I want to see in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a movie uh, called Nine Days mm. that uh, I just was incredibly high on um, that really uh, looks at like the notion of how we're, how we come into existence um, and like who deserves to live. And I think like that's always an interesting idea um, in terms of uh, like movies that I know are going to be coming out. Uh, releases I, I, are all over the place right yeah now. it's so difficult i i really uh i'm incredibly excited for the charlie kaufman movie um, yeah that comes out i believe in september um just it has like a stellar cast mm-hmm. uh, and i think kaufman makes movies that are just fascinating mm-hmm. uh and make you really think and laugh and and feel really weird uh yeah and he, i just think he's such a uh, such a cool filmmaker so i'm Super excited about that. And then I really want people to see this Yes, God, Yes movie, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. I think it's such a short, simple movie. Um, but if you grew up in any sort of like religious uh, household or situation or went to Catholic school or, you know, any sort of had any of those experiences or went on like a retreat, uh, it is such like a good uh, debut by um, a filmmaker who's like, like the movie is really clear and I feel like what it's like trying to look at and what it's trying to say. And I just really appreciate that um, from, you know, like a, a debut film uh, instead of her trying to like address all of these issues, you know, within um, religion or, or within the Catholic church. It's really looking at such a specific example of how you feel when you're growing up and, and when you mm-hmm. don't really know um, what decisions to make and what is like really right and wrong. And then, you know, the ideas of like free will and heaven and hell and all this shit, you know, like I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really good in that way. Um, and then for TV, I think everyone should watch Rami. I think it's mm-hmm. the most underseen best like TV show out there. Um, even more than dark. I, I just think like Rami is so good. And especially if you are in, and it's because I'm in my mid twenties, but like if you're in your twenties, like, especially it is so, so incredible at, you know, pinpointing these decisions that you make and these ideas of like trying to find truth in anything. Um, 
and I, I think it's just like such an achievement in television. I, I just like love it so much. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, like I agree hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So that uh, I know Pen Fifteen is coming out with like a second season. Yeah. Is, everyone should watch that show. It's so enjoyable. And then uh, a show that I know is like caught in a little, a little bit of flack recently. Um, because of the casting of Kristen Bell. Yeah, you uh, tweeted about this. I saw it. But that. I tweeted about this. I just finished it. Uh, Central Park. If you live in New York, if you've been to New York, I think Central Park is an absolute joy. Uh, is the casting of Kristen Bell a mistake? Yes. Probably. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, like that is not something I'm debating at all. Um, I'm just saying in terms of like watching the show, it was so enjoyable to watch. Uh, and especially if you're like, really in the Hamilton life, you know, and, and you got that Hamilton buzz, then you have to watch Central Park because it has, you know, like overlapping actors and, and singers and the songs are so catchy that you have to watch this. Like it's, it's, and it's on Apple TV plus um, and it's like eight episodes, super short. You can run through it in a weekend if you're feeling um, like which we got wanna... time nowadays yeah like you got time to run through it I just think it's it's like one season and it's so short and it's so easy to watch um, so that, that those would be what I'm really excited about and, and what I really think is making an impact at least like things that I have watched that have made an impact on me yeah I, when you were talking about yes god yes this is connected kind of and I know it's going to sound strange I had seen a documentary about Flannery O'Connor that is coming out it's just called Flannery and it kind of dives into her religious background she was a writer if you've read A Good Man is Hard to Find that's kind of what she's most well known for but it's a really interesting documentary it struggles a little bit because she has some let's say hateful attitudes that have been discussed by historians for a long time and it struggles to like grapple with that but i still think it's an interesting documentary especially because of her religious upbringing how it influenced her writing how it influenced her stories yeah if you're looking for a documentary i know it's probably not at all what yes god yes is like at all but no i think that's that's super interesting i i've been really um intrigued by things that deal with religion recently Mm -hmm. um especially because one of my favorite shows of all time is The Young Pope and and, I really oh, yeah. and The New Pope. And I think that though those shows aren't perfect, uh, the way they deal with religion is like very, uh, very interesting. And it, it helped it, if you are religious or you grew up religious, it helps you kind of grapple with yeah. um, certain aspects of religion. So Then another one that I would just throw out there, although it's going to have like 50 caveats <laughs> on it. There's this movie called The Painted Bird that comes out oh, it's based on a novel. Yeah, have yeah. you seen it? um i cannot say that i have i was it's it's i I would i would say the 50 caveats are i don't think it's a great movie because it revels in the suffering and becomes almost repetitive in how it beats you down with the pain but there are some of that through line of what do you do in a world which has like totally lost all direction and faith and it's very beautiful to look at I will never watch it again. <laughs> and I like movies like that. Like, um, oh, what was the the movie, The Nightingale, where it's a very painful movie, but I would revisit that because I think there's more interesting stuff going on and it's not just like 
over and over again that it almost becomes in a weird way safe because of how it's just like yep misery 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 yeah that's that's what the painted bird is but it looks nice <laughs> yeah it's, it's like it's it's beautiful images of images of misery right yeah but, but then again, that's like putting it really lightly like i've, I've heard it's just yeah, like a, it's, a really difficult watch it's one of the most dour depressing things but that's that's where the world is probably should go watch the things you suggested they sound much more funny and, um thank you so much for coming on i i really appreciate it where can people find you or, or what you're doing yeah definitely um you can find me on twitter at peach fuzz critic which, which is a great great handle thank you so much um and then uh i should have an interview coming out with uh karen mame is the director of yes god yes um on roger ebert hopefully next week so yeah. um, that's really exciting keep your eyes peeled for that thanks everyone for listening uh come back next week with the return of my co-host Quinnell. she has returned from her road trip and fittingly we are going to be discussing road trip movies yeah it's going to be it's going to be a wild time thanks so much for listening stay safe stay healthy everybody and we'll see you next week